Welcome to the Let the Games Begin edition of Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. The Summer Olympic Games have always been a cause for celebration, but in host city Tokyo, the headlines look a little different this time. From overcrowded hospitals, to cancellations of the torch relay, to Olympic Village bans on hugging and high fives, the world is anxiously watching as the opening ceremonies draw closer. My guest today is a friend of the podcast and someone with an Olympic-sized resume. Bob Richardson is the former COO of Canada's successful Olympic bid. He's a former leader of our Pan Am Games bid, a current board member of Canada Soccer, and one of the brains behind Canada's successful 2026 World Cup bid. So he knows what goes into planning an Olympic-sized event, and he's here to unpack whether the games will go on. This is Political Traction. All right. Uh, welcome back, listeners, for another edition of the podcast. Um, with me, I have one of my favorite people in the world uh, and, as noted, a expert on all things Olympics and games, um, the one and only Bob Richardson. Uh, Bob, thank you for coming on, and I miss you uh, deeply. Uh, I can't wait to have a drink with you once this is over, so thanks for being on the podcast. Amanda, great to see you, and I'm looking forward to patio time this summer. Yeah, if Doug Ford will let us. Uh, we'll, we'll be there. It'll be end of August by the time we get there. No kidding. It'll be before <laughs> that. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk about the Olympics, I think, are, are chugging at us with quite, you know, it's, it's coming at us. It's coming as it's Canada. It's coming at us as a world. And there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not they should go ahead. Um, for a bit of context before we jump in for our listeners. So um, Japan, a country that I got to visit actually two years ago and fell in love with, um, has been doing tremendously well so far over the course of the pandemic until recently in limiting infections. Um, but variant got in and there's been, quote, a massive surge of cases uh, in Tokyo and Osaka to the big urban hubs. Just for context, Tokyo right now is averaging about 650 cases per day as we record this. So to understand that for the rest of us, the population of greater Tokyo is about 37 million. So that would be if there's 650-ish cases in all of Canada, we'd probably say we're doing pretty good. But the Japanese are saying this is a challenge, it's a big challenge for their hospitals. Um, you know, 80% of cases have been happening in Japan since December. 19 of the 47 prefectures are in a state of emergency. And the CDC is urging not to travel to the region. All of this is a backdrop to what should be a big national and international celebration is the Olympics. So I put all that forward. Before we get into the, this, in case you have not spent a little while researching, as I have. Now, Bob, you have been behind the scenes on uh, Canada's Olympic bid, on the Pan Am Games bid. You're on the board of Canada Soccer, behind the World Cup bid that we successfully got. Uh, so before we get into all that stuff, I wanted to ask you, how do you get to host the Olympics? Well, just, uh, and again, thanks for having me on, Amanda. The way you get to host the Olympics is you bid on it. And the members of the International Olympic Committee, of which there are about normally about 120, vote on um, what city they want to host the Olympics in. So in 2013, there was an IOC meeting in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And Japan was up against, uh, if, if I remember correctly, Madrid and Istanbul. Uh, and they won the right to host these Olympics in 2020, now 2021. Uh, Japan is a very solid member of the Olympic family. This will be the fourth time they've hosted Olympics. The, they will have hosted two summer games and two winter games. So they're very well respected in the Olympic movement. And they're also viewed as a 
very safe country to go to because they know that the games will be well-organized, well-financed, and there's a particular degree of pride that the Japanese put into their hosting of Olympics. Yeah, I remember when we were there in 2019, uh, late 2019, uh, before, before the before times, they had already done all of the um, the subway system was all in English and in like everything was done. There was like Olympic logos in places like it was people were excited. And it to me it was like tremendously looked already organized to me from there. So how do we go from safe, you know, member like great place to go fourth time hosting to today, which is, you know, a lot of calls for this to be canceled? Well, look, this is a super tough situation and it's unprecedented. In the Olympics, it's never been, a date's never been moved before or an Olympics hasn't been canceled. So there's no playbook on this one from the IOC or one that's sitting out there. Um, so I think that's, that's the pandemic piece is part of it. The truth though is that the Japanese have also had some leadership problems in their organizing committee. Uh, they had to replace their president and put in a new one. Uh, they had some questions around their bidding, uh, around the ethics of their bidding. And there's been some, uh, some people who have been, uh, shall we say, under review from that. Uh, they've had a change in prime ministers. Anytime you have a change of political leadership and you're running a big project like that, that tends to complicate things and make it more, uh, more difficult too as well. So you could forgive the uh, Japanese if they're sitting back and uh, belting back a little sake. Uh, I would be too, given everything that's been thrown at them uh, in the last year or so. So it's, it's a tough set of circumstances. I think they've come through it. Uh, if I was betting today, I would say there is a 90% chance that this Olympics will happen. It'll take something monumental in the next two months to change that. But uh, it's going to be tough sledding until they get there. Yeah, and IOC member Dick Pound has basically said it's, uh, you know, essentially off the table canceling it at this point. Yeah. Um, even though there, there has been, a, you know, this one thing I want to ask you, because, you know, I, I was in the mayor's office in the lead up to the Pan Am Games. I mean, obviously you guys had been on that before I was even, <laughs> before Mayor Tory was a twinkle in anyone's uh, political eye. Um, and I remember the, the coverage of it was just like, it actually, it was, it was, negative like overwhelmed people were pissed about traffic they're pissed about this they didn't like the special things the, the athletes got and then the event started to happen everybody got excited so you know a national poll came out in may that said 83 percent of japanese want the games postponed or scrapped because they're so concerned about the health and safety and they feel that the athletes are being put before them um is this just obviously it's special because of the pandemic but do you think this is something that will turn around if and when the games do proceed yeah, I do. And I think history shows that. Uh, London 2012 had a ton of negative press leading up to it. Once the game started, uh, people couldn't get enough of Team GB uh, and they were all over it. You know, at Vancouver 2010, people forget the press was brutal right up until almost the eve of the opening ceremonies. People were complaining about everything from the weather to the organization, et cetera, et cetera. And again, that turned out to be one of the most successful Olympics in the last 50 years. On the Pan Am Games one here in Toronto, uh, again, a lot of negative press. People, what is a Pan Am Games? Why are we doing <laughs> yeah. it? This is expensive, blah, blah, blah. Again, big successful opening cer ceremonies. We sold 1.2 million tickets. We, uh, they had to add 30% more TV coverage because of the public demand. 
And it ended up being a huge success. You'll recall, because I think you were working at City Hall at the time, the cultural program was off the charts in terms of its success. So you got to kind of go through uh, the hot rocks here and bare feet as an organizer leading up to this uh, before you get to kind of cool off in the lake. And uh, I think the Japanese are going through this. It's compounded by the uh, by the pandemic, but it's certainly not unprecedented. And, you know, there's about 11,000 athletes are going to be traveling from abroad to compete um, in Japan. And, you know, they're going to have rigorous testing in place. Um, they're required to stay in what they're calling a bubble, which includes the village, the venues and the training area. Uh, there's some different requirements around volunteers, which I think is a whole other thing. But if they did kind of like, I know this isn't quite the NBA bubble, but they did do it for the NBA very successfully. So they can bubble up with the NBA playoffs. Why can't we do this for the Olympics? Well, and in actual fact, there've been a number of Olympic qualifiers in the last two, uh, in the last two or three months. Uh, Diving just, just had it very successfully. Athletics has had one successfully. So can they do it? Yes, they can do it. Um, and, and the other thing is most Olympic teams uh, are taking all sorts of measures uh, to be safe. We've got a terrific uh, Olympic organization here in Canada. Our chef de Michon, uh, Marnie McBean, is talking to athletes every week. Uh, they've put in, in place all sorts of health and safety measures. Uh, Pfizer has offered to uh, vaccinate all athletes who will be participating in the game. So athletes will all be, uh, be vaccinated. So, you know, I think they're doing all the right things. Uh, and the Japanese are, are building uh, you know, an appropriate bubble. So I think all that has been good. Where I think the Japanese may have fallen down, and it seems odd to me, and uh, I, I, I don't have the answer here, their vaccination uh, levels are really, really low. And I would have thought leading up to a games like this, that that would have been a real priority politically, but their vaccination uh, numbers are really, really low. So I think that creates some angst among the public. Uh, And I think that there's been some communications issues between the Japanese organizing committee and the IOC and, and people's national Olympic committee. So there's been some confusion, which doesn't help. So, so there's a, so there's a couple of things going on that, that need to be fixed a little, but overall, I think they're probably poised to have quite a successful broadcast Olympics. Yeah, actually, I spent a bit of time um, in a, in a, the why aren't the Japanese vaccination rates higher wormhole uh, as well because I was I was curious about it. I, like, having been to the country, I mean, they're so like professional organized timely yeah. you know i figured i figured they'd be like right up there like we'd have them all they'd have a system to make them like it'd be a but it's a cultural thing um around just a, a deep mistrust of it um dating back to the 70s basically where the government had kind of encouraged some vaccinations or some adverse effects and then they've just chosen to go hands off as far as that public health communication same thing actually they're HPV vaccination rates, for example, are tremendously low, something that's been accepted broadly, um, but they, they don't, they rolled it out a little bit. People reacted badly to it. So they have a huge uphill battle on that, which is why they are actually saying that the rollout generally isn't going to happen anywhere broadly until, uh, until after the games. Like, honestly, to me, I feel like we need, 
I don't say this very lightly. We need the Olympics. I think we need something as a, as a world to look forward to. Like I like becoming the foremost expert on trampolining for about a week <laughs> when we're competing for a gold medal in it. Um, I, I think as because of this pandemic, we've reflexively found ways to say no. Um, maybe particularly I'm feeling this in Canada and Ontario as I look at reopening strategies in Alberta and BC and everywhere else. Um, but I feel like we need to find ways to yes with things, um, especially if they can be done, if the athletes are vaccinated, if it can be done relatively safely. And we think this will be, I think, a point of pride for the host nation as well as for, for people around the world. So do you think a bit of this is just we're so used to saying no to everything over the last year and a half of the pandemic that we're just reflectively saying, you know, this isn't a good idea? Yeah, I think people are crabby, uh, and I think people She's are... She's crabby over here, let me tell you. She's really uh, crabby. They're, crabby. they're crabby over here, too, as well. But <laughs> I, I am with you. If we hold the Olympics, and if it's a successful broadcast Olympics, people won't be going over, which is too bad. Yeah. I was hoping to go watch our women's team uh, in soccer, but uh, c'est la vie. But uh, look, I think if we have a successful Olympics, it says to people we're getting back to normal. That's what this says uh, this time out more than anything else. And I think people need something to cheer for. I think people need uh, something to watch and get invested in. And I think the Olympics will be great for, uh, for, for all those things. And also, unless there's a real public health reason to say no to hosting the Olympics, our Japanese friends have put billions of dollars into this. Stadiums, infrastructure, housing, uh, tra transportation, etc. Uh, they've gone out of their way. They have an excellent uh, organizing committee. Uh, unless there is a really, really, really good reason to say no to hosting this, I think we should proceed with the games. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, right? People should know is that the clause in the contract does actually allow Japan to cancel. It only allows the, I mean, they could in theory say we're not hosting you, but that triggers a huge payout to the IOC. Yeah. Um, and if the IOC were to cancel it, that triggers like the biggest insurance payment they would have had. And yeah, that's right. Like a, a big old one, which is a pretty big financial incentive uh, to do that. Now, public opinion in Canada is split on whether we should send our athletes or not. Um, you know, I think it's 39 to 42% or something. So margin of error. Do you think we should, are we going to see a lot of communication? Obviously this is an issue. I think that's going to ramp up in the coming, you know, 90 days. Do we, are we going to, what are we going to see from the Canadian Olympic committee to either sort of increase the comfort of the public, or are they just going to get there, win some gold medals and we'll all be happy to see them competing on the international stage. I think we will see an, an increase in uh, profile for the Olympics. It kind of does happen a little bit nat uh, naturally and the national broadcaster, uh, in this case, CBC, if I recall, um, will, of course, be raising the profile of the games, too, as well. And I think that they're going to want to reassure uh, Canadians that our athletes are going to be safe. Uh, but again, our athletes have had to go through qualifiers. They have been, by and large, safe. I think there were a few cases in and around curling, not in the winter games but, or in this summer games. But there's been a couple of sporting events where there have been issues. But they've been few and far between. Uh, as I said, I know both uh, uh, athletics and divers were, were recently no problems. So I think they'll be po pointing to that. And I think we'll be uh, rolling out uh, a number of well-known Olympians and others who will be backing the games and being supportive. Uh, as an example, Marnie McBean, who lives here in Toronto, is the chef de mission for the Tokyo Games. Uh, she's talking to athletes every week, working hard, 
uh, you know, being out there publicly talking about the games, I think we'll see uh, Marnie's profile going up uh, over the next period of time too, as well. Uh, now as an Olympic insider, are there any like, like sports that we should really watch out for? Like, I should I be reading up on trampolining again, or, you know, I, I love to tune into rowing. Like where, where do we think Canada is going to be competing uh, strongly? Uh, Canada has got a good summer team. I think this Olympics, the cool part of this Olympics, it's going to be a lot of the new sports. Uh, three on three basketball, rock climbing, rock climbing, uh, rock climbing, surfing, uh, freestyle BMX, which we actually had at the Pan Am games. Uh, so I think there's going to be a bunch of cool new sports at this game to go along with others. Uh, athletics is always the crown jewel of the games. And we have got uh, some very, very good athletes in there. Obviously we've always, uh, do uh, well in rowing. I will give a plug for our excellent women's, uh, soccer team, which, uh, is one of the top five in the world. Uh, in the last two Olympics, we've got uh, bronze medals. Uh, we'd like to move up in the rankings if we can this time, lots of competition, but, uh, we've got a, Good, good team, great uh, captain, and uh, great new uh, coach, Bev Priestman. So I think uh, I think we're going to be competitive there too as well. All right. So I need to read up about rock climbing, uh, freestyle BMX, which I'm, I'm like, there's probably like tricks called like the twister and stuff. <laughs> I'm going to be like, yes. that twister was only an eight out of 10. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm like you. I intend to be a one, one week expert on it. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Okay. I have one more Olympic question for you. And then we're going to move to the rapid fire round, which is, did you see, you've obviously seen our opening and closing outfits, right? For the, yes. So I have a very strong opinion on them, but I would be curious as to yours around the, the jean, the closing jean jacket ensemble. Yeah, I'm going to be the, I'm going to reverse myself and be the crabby old white man for this one. I, uh, I am not big on it. I think it looks, but you know what, for a closing, if it was the opening, I'd be really opposed. Uh, cause on the, uh, in the opening, I think it should be red. Canada should be prominent and it should be uh, celebratory and make people feel good about their country. The closing of an Olympic games or any games is supposed to be about the athletes having a party. So in the context of that, Wearing a jean jacket, being relaxed, maybe making it a little bit more fun isn't a terrible thing. It's just not my thing. So I don't particularly like it that much, but I, I don't think we should, you know, uh, uh, you know, lose ourselves over it either. So I think it'll, and I think it's going to end up getting tons of press. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting side uh, sidebar to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, okay, so I think I'm like one of the two Canadians who like the outfit. <laughs> I think it is two, and we're searching for the other one. <laughs> no, I love, the, I think the jacket is fun. Um, I thought, I the, the funny thing as a PR person, I thought was hilarious, was that they were announced, like when it became, there was a big kerfuffle about it a couple, like a month or two ago, I forget. And it, they'd actually been announced eight months prior. Nobody noticed. And then all of a sudden the Americans came out with their uniforms and didn't like there so they compared themselves to the canadians and then it became a whole like whole new news cycle whole international thing but all i gotta say is look at the american outfits and then look at the canadian outfits who do you want to party with more well that's because the americans are always that kind of polo ralph, ralph Lauren, lauren fuddy-duddy uh, 
tight ass kind of outfit and uh <laughs> and ours are ours are at least uh fun and relaxed so that's what a closing ceremony is supposed to be about fun and relaxed for the athletes all right i agree here here so hope, hopefully the Olympics will proceed. Our wonderful Japanese friends will do an amazing job and we can, uh, can cheer on BMX and Soccer Canada and all that stuff. Now I want to move quickly to the rapid fire round. So this is where I'm just going to throw some a couple issues in the public eye out at you, Bob, and you say the first yeah. thing that comes to mind. Um, so going to the moon, do you think we should be spending money on that? Or do you think, are you pro or against? Uh, I am pro. We have a choice as a country. Either we participate uh, in things like that, as France and Britain and other countries do, or we don't. Um, either we are trying to build technology, uh, technological uh, capacity and technologies and technical businesses in this country, or we don't. Uh, you know, we can hang out with uh, Cote d'Ivoire and Belarus and others, <laughs> or we can hang out with Britain, France, and uh, the United States and the big dogs. Pick your lane. Here, here. Uh, reopening. Uh, we've mentioned it a few times, but where are you? How are you feeling about what I would call the glacial pace of reopening in Ontario? And what are your maybe a bit in Canada, but I think particularly in Ontario. And what are your I, I think, plans? I think glacial is being kind. Uh, we, <laughs> I, I think that that plan is dead on arrival. It obviously needs to be redone. I think uh, we need to open at a, at a uh, much, much quicker place, particularly for outdoor dining, particularly for small businesses. Though our, 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 our friends who've cut hair for a living have, yes. been, uh, uh, have been getting pounded for over yeah. a year with almost no stats uh, to back up doing it to them. Yep. So there's a whole bunch of businesses that have paid a price. People need access to gyms uh, for their mental health. So I think there's a whole variety of things that need to happen way faster than uh, they outlined. I suspect that will probably be the case, but I think we should keep pressure on them to make sure that it is. Here, here again. Okay, Beast versus Habs. As we record this, tonight will be the game, right? The I'm not a hockey player watcher, as you can tell. I know. I am deal. sitting 10 feet away from an old seat from the Montreal this? Forum. Yes, I am. Uh, I am. Uh, I'll be supporting the Habs tonight, and it's mainly a family thing. My grandparents had seats in the Forum for thirty years. Oh wow! And if I didn't support the Canadians, there would be uh, lightning coming down from heaven. <laughs> and so this is a public safety issue for me. <laughs> I have to support the Canadians. If they happen to go out tonight, I hope they win and we go one more game. Uh, but if they happen to go out tonight, I'll support the Leafs after that. All right. I, uh, I think I'll have to bandwagon with the Leafs eventually just because of geography and everything. But uh, I, I, your photo of the, the chair is always lovely. I didn't know that history. All right. Well, Bob, thank you for coming on. As always, um, you are fabulous and I miss you deeply. And uh, I look forward to discussing. Splash. Yeah, splash and discussing Olympics with you in the near future. Hopefully. Excellent. Thanks, man. And thanks for having me. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by Simon Bredden, Hunter Nifton, John Gardner, Kimberly Drapek, and Caroline Spunken. A very special thank you goes out to Bob Richardson. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction Polly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.